Hello guys and welcome to the latest MSC Performance Podcast. This is episode number 18, hosted by me, Mark Coulson. I'm joined today with Luke Rogers and Sonia Klukova. How are we doing, guys? I'm, I'm good, thank you. Uh, although I didn't have a very good sleep, uh, randomly, in Mint, I live in Mint Drive, there was a video shoot for a music song at like half 12 at night, like right outside the door. Um, so I didn't sleep that good, but there was like a full light set up, a couple of like high-end cars, and they were singing some songs. Wow. Um, that was wow. a bit random. So I haven't slept. It, it was similar to what? <clears throat> I think it was I'm, Megan I'm... B. Stallion. Oh, oh. Decent. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very good. Uh, I had a good sleep. Um, and uh, I'm ready for the questions today. Um, like them, thanks, guys, for, for putting some in. Fantastic. Yeah, speaking of which, so... Um... As Sonia's just mentioned, we're sort of doing a bit of a Q&A to, today with some of our members who have uh, sent some questions in. Um, so the three questions uh, we'll be covering. Uh, the first question is, uh, for athletes, do you think the whole body approach or the lower upper split or any other split is more beneficial? Uh, really interesting question now. I think that's one that you know, we could spend a good amount of, uh, good, good amount of time, time on. Um, the second question is based around the Romanian deadlift. So would you use a raised heel for more range of motion or not? Also, he's snuck a, a sneaky second question here uh, with the RDL. Belt or no belt? Um, two for one. A, two for one. That's a smart, smart. And the third question is uh, regarding Olympic lifting. So are the Olympic lifts beneficial to use if I'm not competing in Olympic lifting? So again, that's a really, really good question that we can expand on quite a lot. Uh, we could talk about whether they're useful for field athletes. There's always a lot of controversy around that uh, and also sort of general general pop. So three really sort of different different questions there for us to get uh, to get stuck into. So I think without uh, without further ado, we'll, we'll we'll get stuck into those. Um, so we'll start with the, the first one I read out there. So with athletes, um, what what's the best uh, best approach? Are we are we doing a, a a split where we're doing you know we're sort of taking body parts? You know we're doing chests and triceps, we're doing legs, we're doing you know something else on another day. Are we doing a second option which is uppers and lowers, or a third option which is full body? Um, so this is a really, uh, really interesting question. And uh, if the guys don't mind, I'll, I'll jump in uh, with, with some stuff here uh, to, to start us off. So with those, with those options, uh, with a field-based athlete, I would never go into a complete split, really. Um, you know, a sort of traditional bodybuilding split where, um, you know, we're splitting up the, you know, the, the body parts into one, one or two muscle groups a, a, a session. Um, I would use predominantly an upper lower split and I'll use full body as well. So the, the answer to the, the, the question, as always, is uh, it, it depends. It depends on a few factors, but there's certain upper lowers and full body. But as I say, you know, with the, with the split, um, that's not something I'd, uh, I'd, I'd look into uh, too, too much. Um, just uh, before I sort of go on a, a twenty-minute ramble here, uh, what, what about you guys? Is this, you know, off the off the top of your heads, what what, what are your thoughts with this? I think the first thing to consider is like what they can actually commit to time-wise, because if they're only doing three sessions a week, uh, upper lower doesn't quite lend itself as well. I mean, you don't have to use the the week as a as the microcycle, but it just makes sense to do so. 
um, especially if you've got time constraints of a job, like you might want to have Mondays an easy session or, or whatnot. But if you're an athlete um, in particular, like three sessions a week, if you're doing upper low, it doesn't lend itself that well. And then it's difficult to align with the training if you've got like a hard session that's going to change days of the week each week. Um, so I think it varies on, on the person. If you do do a, I, my preference is full body, but there's definitely scope to use both. And like you said, like the, the novelty of switching between the two can be good. Uh, with the full body, it just gets a little bit more complicated when you start to, rather than having like your low days, which might be classed as high stress days and your uppers, which will be lower stress days or, or vice versa, having to implement like higher volume, lower volume, low intensity within the full body session can become a little bit more tricky. It's probably a little bit more advanced in terms of the, the overarching concept. So if you've got a full, if you're doing a, four days a week you've got two lowers one might be a hard day and you plan that you know at the start of the week and then you've got your lighter day later in the week all of a sudden when you're doing that within a full body four times a week it gets a little bit trickier um so you need to have a really good understanding of periodization and also a good understanding of what you respond well to but i i do prefer full body actually um so if i had a if i had to say one or the other i would say full body but typically it would be upper lower off season and then kind of pre and in season would get to full body yeah generally that's the the way of you know just to expand on what you've said there at the end uh generally speaking for for myself as a rugby player i'd use um upper and lowers in the in the off season and pre-season and then in season um i often drop from sort of four sessions or five sessions um that i do in pre-season off season i'll drop it drop to three sessions in in season uh where i've got uh you know two you know, two rugby nights a week and then the game every Saturday as well uh, works a little bit, little bit better. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I mean, this, you know, in, in terms of the, the periodization, as you say, can get quite, quite complex, but the first thing, first of all, is like you say, how many, how many, you know, the, the question we ask everyone, you know, when they first come on board in terms of programming is what, what can you realistically commit to? um you know is a, is, a, is a big one and as you say if it's going to be two sessions a week or three sessions a week um are you you know are you really going to get a benefit from doing an upper lower split you know or even more of a more of a split than that um when, when we're talking even more of a split really the the issue is then that you know if we're coming in and training you know chest and triceps for example you know we're not really training movement patterns we're not really training uh, for, for for lack of a better phrase, sport specific. Um, so you know that's that's a, an important thing to to take into consideration. Is there anything you sort of take into consideration, Sonia, when you know sort of deciding between full body or splits? Uh, so I really like that you both kind of opened that topic of either how much time you have and the periodization, because I think the the level of that person really really matters. Um, obviously, if you can cope with lower or upper body splits, um, and as well, um, uh, obviously, what 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 season you're in, or like, are you pre-season or in-season, uh, and what's the end goal? Obviously, like, you know, if you if you, if you are training for hypertrophy, um, I would say split upper lower is is better. Um, maybe if you're if you're beginner, I would say whole body approach, but. As you said, like it, it really depends, like individualized goal and person, uh, which we can allow. Well, I like. 
what I like to think about is um, similar to when you talk about like vertical integration and when we've got this like traditional block periodization that's kind of moved on now to, to sort of having elements of other things. So you're in a hypertrophy focus, but you've still got a little strength dosage and you've still got a little speed dosage. I think the same idea can kind of be applied to like full body sessions. And I think you can get a lot of benefit from doing. So let's say instead of doing your an upper body session exclusively, you have an upper body dominant session in terms of like volume and hypertrophy, but you've got that little dosage of, of like uh, of, of lower body work and it could be like speed dominant with lower body. you might get like good recovery benefits from actually doing some movement through the lower body rather than just ignoring it all together um and then like your other amount of work for the week is still spread out nice and evenly but you're just spreading it out into a way that that's beneficial and might have more benefits than not doing anything alone uh, yeah so we've got to get out of this habit a little bit of thinking of you know i think a lot of people think beginners will do full body intermediate would do higher and lower and then advanced would start doing split stuff where you know which which isn't really uh, isn't really the case um as i say full body can be used in a very advanced method as well um i've used full body myself um you know in the off season doing five days a week um and as luke says hey, all three of us do do full body don't we yeah all yeah. three of us do so it's not a beginner thing we've all been training for a long time we've been asked in our sports so yeah exactly so um on the you know on those days what i'd do is i'd have sort of you know two or three uh of those five days would be sort of what we call you know higher days um and then the other sort of two or maybe three would be lower days so that's generally how um you know how, how it fits in so i think you know a lot of people sort of freak out about training the same muscle groups you know one day after another but if the stimulus is different um then you know it can it can work really really beneficially um so for example, like one of those days, I think Luke sort of touched upon this, you know, one of those days might be a little bit more lower focused and we're doing a little bit more heavier work around a squat pattern or a deadlift pattern. And the upper body might be a little bit more accessory uh, based. And then the next day it might be the uppers are going to be the heavy stuff. The lowers are going to be, you know, more the accessory work. And we can also obviously, you know, bring, you know, bring, bring speed and, you know, and, and, sort of velocity aspects into into that as well um it's like if you're yeah, if, just, if you're interested in training still four days a week and it gets hard to get it in with the training like there's a lot of good research about doing that light speed session the day before a game and something yeah. i've used for powerlifting um and i know that like james from your club does it as well like so if you wanted to train that amount of times you want to train the day before you could have like uh, a low to medium day for the upper body and then that low body work could just be like high speed work so you could just some like very low volume sprints some jumps um maybe even like some squats but like really focus on the speed output and that'd be another way of getting like some extra low body work in but it's going to be a positive thing on the training rather than traditionally doing low body the day before a game would be a car crash and, and no one would touch it because it's they're going to see it's been too taxing. Well, actually, like Mark says, doing upper body work and then doing that little bit of speed work the day before um, would have a good benefit to your overall performance in rugby. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, there's um, like say you're say you're training in season, for example, and you're doing three uh, full bodies, which is normally normally what I do. As I, as I say, off season and uh, pre season, I do I do uh, sometimes or even quite often actually split into into uppers and lowers, uh, doing two, two upper sessions, two lower sessions, um, you know, good chance to increase the, the frequency of hitting, you know, certain movement patterns, um, like, you know, for example, 
um, you know, that's that's twice a week. I can hit some good, good, you know, good squat patterns, some good deadlift patterns, some good bench press patterns. Um, but in in season, if I'm doing, you know, three for example, then yeah, it's not, you know, one minute is changing the 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 stress on the CNS in those sessions and, and varying those a little bit. So we talk about high days and low days and things like that. So, you know, I wouldn't want to massively do, you know, a, a, a big, you know, big volume session on the, on the lowers, you know, on a, on a Thursday or Friday, if I've got a game on a, on a Saturday. Um, so, you know, I'd look to, you know, to get my, my volume and my intensity in earlier in the, in the week. Um, and, a, and a Thursday or Friday, you know, could be, um, you know, it, it could be, for example, if I'm, let's say, a Thursday, um, you know, that could be quite a heavy upper body session, no no dramas at all, and I'm going to recover fine for a Saturday. And then maybe the, you know, lower body stuff is, you know, sort of speed, you know, more, more speed focus, low time and attention, um, you know, and just, just focusing on on velocity work. And that, as Luke said, that can even be done on a, on a Friday, no, no dramas at all, really. So it's, um, it's you know, it, it all really, you know, it's just about managing the, 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 the stress and the, and the load on the, on the, on the nervous system, really. Um, so for example, an, you know, an average training, um, you know, week for me so I'd, I'd, I'd look at Monday would be a sort of what I'd call a moderate day um, Tuesday would be a high day and then a Thursday or sometimes a Friday would be a would be a low day um, and what I mean by that is you know so a Monday um, the research would show that you know you're not fully recovered from a um, you know from a from a game on Saturday um, but there's still you know you're still better off doing doing something than nothing definitely um and you know you can still still train i think as field athletes if we're if we're waiting to to be a hundred percent um you know before we train in the gym then we'll be waiting forever because uh, as soon as that season starts you're never you're never a hundred percent i can speak from experience so um you know monday uh would be you know sort of you know relatively moderate loads but building some volume i'll often do like a lot of kind of accessory work on a on the monday uh, Tuesday, I'd try and train as early as possible in the morning because I'd have rugby training in the evening. Um, so Tuesday would be actually a really heavy day, um, but like pretty moderate to, to low volume. Um, but training as early as possible, trying to get, you know, eight, 10 hours of recovery in before I train in the evening. Um, so it would be, you know, again, it would be full body, but I'd perhaps even be focusing on lowers a little bit more in terms of getting some heavy, heavy lifting in. Um, avoiding like big heavy centric work and things like that because I've got training in the evening but you know heavy loads and you know a little bit of strength speed stuff as well with you know some some banded stuff or um, you know some hang power cleans or some you know weighted weighted you know um, jumps and things like that and then Thursday or Friday you know I'd be looking at a little bit more velocity based keeping the volume nice and low but keeping the you know, keep keeping the, the speed nice and nice and sharp. And that makes sense, like you said, like the, the most important thing is load management. So that makes sense from like a performance perspective on the Saturday. Um, and then that doesn't mean that you have to do the upper lower. So that's that's a very beneficial split. And obviously it works for you. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think the, you know, that 
we can probably round round that up there. To be honest, um, I think like I guess to touch quickly on that is if you're doing upper lower with that three days, like would you alternate between like lower upper lower than the week after upper lower upper, and then it starts to conflict with your actual cycle. So if you made the decision to do upper lower in season, um, you'd be pretty much just doing one lower body session a week and then doing two uppers. And it, it, is that the most beneficial training for your sport? If you're uh, if you're an athlete doing some kind of sport, it's probably going to be very low body dominant. Is just once a week of, of strength training for that good enough when doing two uppers compared to doing the three days a week and adding in the, the other variants of, of lower body work? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know I'd be pre- I'd be pretty confident saying like if you're training three times a week, it's going to be full body. You know. Yeah. Um, I do. You know. There, I mean, there is a theory behind in season doing uppers Monday, lower Tuesday, and then full body sort of power and speed based work on a Thursday, uh, which, which again, which again could work. Um, but for me personally, I'd rather get that full body stimulus, you know, throughout the week really. So like I say, even on, even on a Monday, you know, if that means, um, you know, even if that means I'm not getting the same amount of volume on the uppers as I would if it was just a pure upper upper session I'm getting the I'm getting the lowers moving it's a good chance to get you know my, my single leg work in a little bit of volume stuff um you know and it's just more more stimulus and frequency throughout throughout the week with the with the three really. when you add up you add up the volume of the um uh, of the micro cycle versus just looking on a session by session basis things are going to be fairly even yeah. anyway um and then you, your output's going to be higher on the day where you probably spread it out as well. So that's another benefit, um, which is why I don't think it's a, a beginner thing at all. Um, if you're doing four lower body movements on one day, that fourth session, that fourth exercise, sorry, is going to be very, very taxed. It's going to be very low output. So your highest output work is going to be when you're freshest. If you split it up across the week, you'd probably get more force output, more power. Uh, okay. It's going to be more beneficial as well. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, to kind of conclude, I guess like, you know, start thinking, you know, start thinking of um, sort of high days, low days, aspects like that. So, you know, if you are doing five days a week, you know, maybe look at uh, two or three uh, high days. So, for example, like, you know, a Monday, Wednesday, Friday could be a high days. Um, so, you know, for those you're looking at, um, you know, you're looking at high, high load, uh, you're looking at heavy movements and you're looking at fast you know, explosive movements as well. Um, then on your Tuesday and Thursday, for example, you're looking at what we call a low day. Um, doesn't mean you're not working hard, but, you know, you're doing lower stress movements. You're doing, you know, more of your accessory type work, maybe getting unilateral work in. Um, so, you know, it's uh, maybe maybe that Monday, Wednesday, Friday, more bilateral focus, to Tuesday, Thursday, more unilateral focus. It's, you know, less load on the CNS, but a great chance to, you know, to, to, to work on those, uh, to work on those components. And obviously it can work, you know, the other way, two and three as well. You can do two high days, three lower days, um, and aspects like that, you know, work really well. Cool. I mean, that's, a, that's an interesting one. We, we could probably talk all day, um, you know, about, about that. And it, you know, you can, what I think we're trying to do here is not get too deep into, you know, in, into periodization and things like that, but, yeah, essentially, I think, you know, we all probably have a, a, bit, a bit of a preference for, for full body there. And then if you're doing full body, you know, I would say don't be afraid to train, you know, similar patterns, similar muscle groups back to back. 
just change the loads and the velocities in which you're working. So again, a good good example there might be, as I said, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, um, you know, you come in, you're doing full body, you may be doing, you know, um, you're starting off with, you know, your plyo type work, your speed type work, and then you're going into heavy stuff. And you do that on your Monday, your Wednesday, your Friday. Yeah. Maybe a Monday's more of a, you know, slightly more of a squat focus. Your Wednesday's maybe slightly more of a upper, you know, bent, you know, push pull focus. And your Friday's more of a more of a deadlift hinge hinge type pattern focus. And then in between, you know, getting your getting your accessories in uh, works really uh, works really well. Um, so say off season you can train five times a week. Um, you could train four times a week, and you could do up as low as which again, you know, which again works works fine. Um, you know, on your on your first lower, you could do more of a squat focus, uh, sort of you know knee dominant pattern. On the on the second lower day, you could do more of a hinge type pattern. You could start off again with your your speed, your power, and then go into your heavy work. Um, but then you know you've got to try and fit the accessories in as well. So you might fit in with one or two accessories. And Luke makes a good point. You know, by the end of that, what's the quality of your work? You know, towards the towards the end there. Um, you know, which which you know is a, is, a, is a great argument. Um, so yeah, and then you come into season and you're probably cutting the cutting the frequency down a bit, and you you, know, you go three, and then you know, let's say, um, although there is a justification for doing upper Monday, lower Tuesday, full body on a Thursday, Friday, and I do you know I have used that before and I do like it, uh, based you know suits certain, certain types of people. Um, generally speaking, more often than not. I would go again for a full body, uh, full body approach. Um, as I say, more accessory work on a on a, on a Monday, a volume type stuff. Heavy Tuesday AM, and then Thursday or Friday, looking a little bit more kind of speed, uh, speed dominant. Um, but again, if you wanted a bit of extra frequency on the uppers, you could do easily do a heavy, you know, heavy bench on a Thursday, um, and dare I say even on a Friday if the volume's low enough, and be fine for a Saturday. Cool. We'll round that up there. Hopefully that helps. Um, slide questions. It really, you know, it's hard. You know, you, you need. You almost need the individual there. You need to find out those, you know, that training history, that you know, um, the context. That, that context, the schedule, everything like that. So, uh, but cool. Yeah, we'll we'll move it on. So uh, the second question. Uh, is based around the remaining deadlift. Um, so uh, the question is, raised heel for more range of motion or not? Uh, we'll start with that, and then we'll go into the belt uh, aspect as well. So what have you guys, what, what do you guys think to this one? Um, so I'm going to speak for myself. So um, I'm, I'm actually not quite sure uh, for Romanian deadlift. Like, I assume that it, it works with the range of motion and you probably increase them but I would personally not use elevation what about you Luke um, so the, the, the problem is with the extra range of motion is like is it is it beneficial range of motion when you're talking about like the RDL in its purest form being a pure hinge pattern is the elevated heel going to encourage a positive knee angle or is it going to allow you to, to shift your centre of, of, of gravity and your centre of mass to be slightly forward, which then might allow you to, to get your shoulders slightly further over the bar and then at the same time simultaneously push the hips back, which is, is, is one of the main things I, I focus on. And when we look at an RDL, I think a lot of people put too much weight through their heel 
and then all of a sudden like too much weight's behind the bar they're not getting over the bar nicely so the heel can help you shift your your, your center of mass to be slightly forward which would then encourage you to get a little bit more over the bar however on the flip to that like some people you add, you, you add the heel and as they're coming down there they're increasing the range of motion but it's through um uh, knee flexion rather than like hip flexion so it's becoming a bit more of like a like a normal deadlift which we know is a it's not a pure hip hinge, it's a combination of, of, of knee and hip extension. Um, so it's very individual. I, as a startup, would prefer people to do it barefoot because I also think you get a benefit of training barefoot and exercises that you can do. So things like trying to find even weight distribution through the feet, getting good ground uh, through the floor, that has its own benefit in itself. And then, yeah, so you're looking at the individual and you're saying, well, does the heel allow them then to get more of the weight over the, over the bar? shifting their sense of mass, which can be a benefit, or is the heel making them bend their knees as they're coming down? So they're increasing the range of motion, but it isn't beneficial range of motion to the RDL, which is a pure hinge pattern. Yeah, I can't say I've ever actually, you know, felt the, felt the need to raise a heel on, a, on an RDL with someone. Um, I certainly understand the, you know, the concept behind the question, you know, clearly someone, you know, you know, it's based around someone who's struggling to get into a position that they feel, is, is great enough to, to get the benefits from from DL because of a lack of lack of mo, lack of mobility. Um, but it is, it is big, Chris. So uh... well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah. So uh, yeah, a, ra- a race deal for Chris might work, but uh, no. Um, I think you know with with, with that, we, you know we, we we know through the progressions in you know uh, biomechanics and sports therapy that over over the years that we you know ju- just by doing the movement by doing you know load through that hinge pattern through that rdl pattern over time is going to increase the the quality of the movement and the range of movement um anyway so if you've got someone who um you know you're you're doing it you know flat-footed for example and you feel like you're not quite getting enough range i'd potentially add some isometrics in at end range um you know to hold that, that length uh, do it, you know, with, with with some, you know, eventually with some good good heavy load as well, uh, so that we get time and attention at end range. And I think you'll find that over over time that will, uh, uh, you know, you should should increase uh, range a little bit there. Um, as as I said, I've got I've gone more through that really because, you know, with with people are trained in the past rather than raising the raising the heel. Um, you know, I've I've, ju- I've just found doing that, adding those ISOs in at end range, eventually it will just increase. And if you're quite if you're quite tight anyway, and it doesn't look like you're getting much range, it is quite a lot of range for you, if that makes sense. For your, you know, okay, you're going to get some people. Don't you know? Always focus on focus on yourself as well mm. with with all exercises, but especially with an RDL because you're going to get you super supple people. You know those you know long elastic elastic hamstrings that uh, are going to need a block. You know they're getting you know the the glutes are pushed back against the wall. The bars come down a long way. They get in a real good range, and you're going to get some people who who aren't you know who aren't going to get that range. Um, you know that. Are you saying Chris Hill shouldn't compare himself to a Gymshark model doing an RDL standing on two twenty kilo bumper plates? Yes. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> right. Okay. Yes. Got you. You won't like that. Move on yes, next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, hopefully, hopefully that answers your question, Chris. Yeah. So, um, yeah, 
Oh, yeah, I just wanted to add one more point, actually, if you don't mind, because uh, I also think, like, when we're giving people exercises, the best thing we can do is, like, to give them minimal amount of cues. Yeah. So, like, when we're fine. giving someone a squat, we want them to be up or at knees forward. If, if you're training someone online and they just cannot get that, if you give them exercises that allow you to give minimal cue and it just automatically gets them into the position, that can be a good thing. So for some people, elevating a hill is going to allow them to get slightly further over. For other people, it's going to be the opposite, mm -hmm. where we elevate their toes. Um, and that we're doing the opposite. So we're trying to give people as like minimum cues as they can just to get into the positions we want them to be in. So doing the, the heel elevation might be a way of doing that. Um, but like I said, for, like for, for in, in the person that asked the question, like for them, it's just going to be increasing range of motion through time. And I'm not sure if the heel, it's, it's a good thing to learn off where you should be position-wise, but eventually I think you want to be doing it there. But. Yeah, it's just that with, with an RDL, it's so tempting always, you know, whether it's kind of uncomfortable and it feels tight or we're using heavy load to, to over flex the knee. Yeah. Um, and almost forget about the, the, the hip angle and pushing the hips back. And, because and people see the gym shot models doing it. it. They think, shit, I need, there's no set rule like there is with a bench press or a deadlift where it touches the floor or there's no set thing. It's like you said, you yes. work through a new individual flexibility. Yeah. But that means people think there's still a standard to it and there isn't. Yeah. Like a set standard. In, in, individual, isn't it? Like I say, if you're, um, you know, if, you, if you're kind of hip and back handle, uh, angle were sort of hit. Well, I've got to remember we're on Spotify as well. So, if you're if you're com if you're completely flat with your your back and you're in that kind of position, that might be the same uh, level of kind of eccentric contraction and stretch as someone who's a bit more upright with you know shorter levers or you know yeah. tighter tighter strings really. So, um, the uh, you know it re again you know always always comes back to context and individuality really so yeah as i say no you know no no and chris like we do i think we'd probably you know we, we could potentially look at heels raise but i'd probably look at adding a couple of isos in that bottom position getting a good feel for it um and just over time i think that'll uh, that'll in increase the, the, the range there but yeah as it as like it says is is a tricky one because there's no the the standard isn't as clear you know, with a bench press, we know, you know, even if it's a field athlete, not just a powerlifter, that we want to get up to the chest and we want to press with a deadlift. We start from the floor and we end in a fully extended uh, standing position. With the RDL, it's not so not so straightforward. So, you know, don't don't necessarily judge an RDL. If you see someone doing an RDL and you think, well, they're not going low enough, um, you know, they might be going low enough for them. The hamstrings might be screaming at them. So, you know, it's uh, it's very individual. So. Hopefully that answers your, your question, Chris. Um, cool. Should we move on to the, the third question? Uh, belt. Belt. Sorry. We'll sorry. 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 On belt. Yeah, he got a sneaky second question there. RDL, belt or no belt? So I know, I know with RDL, Luke, you'll use with your powerlifters, you know, for sort of high, generally speaking, higher rep work. Would you, mm -hmm. would you ever implement a belt for, you know, your sixes, your eights, your tens? I um, pretty much exclusively encourage the belt, actually. Um, from a, a perspective of, of like force output and, and trying to get a good amount of load for it, I'd, I'd always opt for the belt on pretty much every exercise because you're going to get higher output. Or if you do the same weight, the RPE is going to be lower than not using the belt. So from a, a force perspective, it's better to use the belt than not. The only times I probably wouldn't, and it might be for someone that's a little bit heavier or, or stronger, uh, would be lo um, <clears throat> load management. 
and um, making mm. sure that like we, we're self-limiting that day. So if like someone's coming in and they've done a deadlift at the start of the week and it's like it's north of 240, 250, they're coming in and they're a little, little bit sore, like the prospect of having to go heavy again on an RDL um, is, is not a good thing to be doing maybe or like it's just something they don't want to be doing. Maybe like keeping that session a little bit lighter, but then still wanting to get an RKR for you, you could do it beltless and that might then facilitate recovery to go back into your main deadlift. So for most people, at least from a powerlifting perspective, RDL is going to be a second military third lift. Um, and you need to make sure that it's there in the hierarchy and that you're prioritizing your main deadlift session. And if you're going heavy on your RDL and it's having a detrimental effect on your main deadlift, you're probably going a little bit too heavy and you could do a good job of reducing down the load in touch. And one way to do that to self-limit is by, like like you said, adding isometrics, um, adding in slow eccentrics or adding beltless, and that's going to limit the amount of load on the bar. So I think you've got to keep your main deadlift as a priority, keep checking in on your performance, how you feel on that session, and then you should adjust the load on the other days accordingly. Yeah, absolutely. I'd agree with that as well. Um, you know, very, very, you know, very much depends on what we're trying to what we're trying to get out of it. So, from my point of view, from sort of field athlete point of view, the RDLs, um, you know, quite often used as a primary primary movement. Yeah. Um, in which case, you know, for you know, we, we will use it for heavy heavy triples, heavy heavy fours, heavy fives. Um, in which case, obviously, a belt can you know can more often than not. Um, help us produce more more forces. I've got one or two athletes that just can't, you know, just just don't really get on get on too well with the belt, and that's and that and that's fine. Um, and also, I, I really like your point there about, you know, it's a very simple way of self regulating, um, you know, sort of tonnage basically um, yeah. is is you know by saying, well, let's yeah, let's just get rid of the belt today. Let's just not use the, use, use the belt. So for my guys, if they're if they're in competition, especially like for example, like in 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 season, and this is any sport, and I'm, you know, thinking my athletes and thinking myself when I'm talking about this, um, you know, in season, we want really want to minimise the amount of um, time of the tension we're we're doing in terms of eccentric loading. Um, yeah. So, for example, like, you know, just to backtrack slightly on what we were talking about earlier, some people might say, you know, I'm crazy for squatting on a Thursday when I've got a game on a Saturday. But what I might be doing is I might be doing, you know, a banded safety bar uh, squat out of the pins, you know, for, for example. So on the eccentric, I'm just basically coming down with the assistance of the bands and just like not dropping, but, you know, I'm maybe taking two seconds on the way down, pause for half a second, and it's like, bang, you know, it's, it's as much power through the concentric and, motion as possible. And you're doing, and, you're doing three sets of two, so it's not going to be... Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's that's it. You know, I, I would, I, I'd feel horrible on a Saturday if I'd not done any lowers on a Thursday or Friday. Um, yeah. And I know that, like, 90% of rugby players would not touch lowers after Tuesday. Um, in, in fact, they, most of them wouldn't touch lowers after Saturday. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so there we go. Obviously, got off on a bit of a tangent there, but like, what you know, to bring to bring it back to the question, what I'm saying is like that can be you know in in season rather than sort of belting up on an RDL. You know, if we want to be working our seventy and eighty percent, you know, that's a simple one that I've used before, where we just take the belt away, and then naturally that will knock you know knock a few percent off. Um, you know, you feel that athletes not aren't normally as well trained and get you know always the same benefits as your powerlifters with the with the belt because in competition you're yeah. obviously using the belt. So like 
you know, for, for example, Rowan, for example, what, you know, my, my pole vaulter, he, he doesn't get a lot from use, using a belt. It just doesn't carry over that well. Um, but, you know, for myself and for a lot of guys in season, I might just say, actually, let's just take, you know, let's just take the belt out or I might just keep the belt in, lower the volume. But you know what I'm trying to say? It's, <clears> it's just, smart, you know, just monitoring the, the total tonnage and just take, removing a belt there uh, could just keep you, keep you honest. For myself, when I sat there, I'm, I'm doing beltless deadlifts and, and I hate beltless work. But the rationale for my coach was that we need extra work of practicing the skill, but I want to self-limit the loading so that you're not feeling absolutely bad coming into the start of the week. Um, so like with a, my beltless, if I was doing a set, of, I reckon I'm about 10% down from the belt. Um, yeah. Maybe a bit like ment mentally going into the session, but like it just knocks off 10% and I still get the skill practice and I still hit a fairly decent RPE. I'm getting decent force output and we're getting a good stimulus without having to, to go full hog like I would do on my main deadlift day. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Good drills. Cool. cool. All right. Excellent. So moving on to uh, question number three. Um, so this is to do with Olympic lifting. So real good range of questions uh, today. Um, so with Olympic lifting, are the Olympic lifts beneficial for anyone who is not competing in Olympic lifting. And we'll jump, uh, jump to uh, our Olympic extraordinaire, Sonia. Um, so obviously you train um, a lot of the Olympic lifters and you, you yourself have competed in Olympic lifting. What about for sort of general, general pop? Do the Olympic lifts have, have some good benefits? Would you use them? I personally think they would have some overlap in terms of like, um, you know, the coordination, um, timing, muscle recruitment, but I'm not sure if I would take, well, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't take a complete beginner, like a novice who walks into a gym straight into only lift. Um, obviously if he would be, um, like a talented or like well-developed person, maybe he would catch things quickly but i think you need a certain level of strength to kind of in, introduce yourself with the only lift um so for general population um if you want to be i always say if you want to be if you want to learn a skill and if you want to know something new uh great um but if you have a specific goal in terms of like well you know i, I want to run faster um be a bit more powerful this is the usual things people say um there are different ways how you can do it if the only list doesn't really work well for you but i also stand for that it's not that hard to to learn it um if you if you teach it well uh, and i think we kind of stand on the same same statement here mm, I think. yeah absolutely yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely i think like if you get you know if you got someone coming in with you you your common goals you know they want to get you know more athletic stronger faster they want to lose a bit of weight um you know there's a lot a uh, lot more uh there's, there's a lot of alternatives that you could use that are uh, less demanding skill wise technique wise um you know for example like in our metcon sessions at msc you know we never use the olympic lifts because if we're trying to create power stimulus speed stimulus you know med ball alternatives uh, plyo sledge work you know, it's just much less technical, easier to coach. Um, and, and, and that doesn't mean, you know, we're trying to make our lives easy. That just means that, 
you know, there's less risk involved for uh, for, for for the person. Yeah, training. I think the, the competency um, of of the people is a big one. Like you, you probably can tell that if you give someone a dumbbell or a kettlebell and you see how the person's moving, like then you know, and if if it's not good, I would probably never put that person under the barbell straight away. Like yeah. you need to have a certain level of competency of the body positioning, body movement, like, you know, know your hinge, know your squat, and then you can probably do something with the barbell in terms of Oli. Obviously, you, as you said, like you can use, you know, the ballistic approach with the ball, or, you know, you can probably do the hang cleans with the cat levels. Like there's always a way how to get this like power ballistic work in. Yeah, um, I think with yeah, with, with you, you certainly need you know a, a good level of motor control and sort of proprioception, understanding and awareness of your of your body before you start doing uh, doing ollie lifts. There's nothing worse than seeing you know a complete beginner with no strength training background trying to trying to do ollie lifting. Um, and as I say from you know as, as wonderful as the Olympic lifts are, and there's nothing quite like them really in terms of um, you know of, of, of the you know, various aspects, but. You don't. What was I think? What we're saying there is, for for most people who come into the gym with the goals that they've got, um, everyone can achieve those without doing the Olympic lifts. Um, if you want to learn the Olympic lifts, then that's cool. You know, there's it's a great sport and great. You know, being being able to, you know, overhead squat away and snatch away, and you know, I mean, it's an unbelievably athletic skill um you know and uh you know for people who are you know sat, sat in offices all day if you can eventually get yourself to a point where you can snatch a bar you know i mean that's pretty cool you know there's and there's some great benefits to be able to be strong enough to sit in a bottom position with a considerable amount of weight over your head um so we're, we're not we're not bastardizing the olympic lifts like we, we we love them but what we're saying is that you know it's probably not uh, necessary for everybody and just be aware that it's very high skill so if you've got a beginner who wants to get in there then what i would say is like you know we all would all believe this um is we're gonna, we're gonna develop some strength and you know some some most skills some awareness of our body and then what we might do is we might drip feed the olympic lifting skills so we might break them we might break them down so we might say right okay well you know we're going to build up a, a, a strength base but what we're going to do is uh, let's say we're training for for an hour we're going to do 15 minutes we're going to do 10 or 15 minutes of doing some mobility work uh and trying to get you into an overhead squat with with a stick you know with a with a dowel with a broomstick whatever and then for 45 minutes we're going to do some strength work we're going to get you strong we're going to build the motor control um you know and and, and build a base and then what we might do is gradually you know, add in a skill each month or each week, um, you know, and what I, what I used to do a, a lot with, um, and we used to do back with, uh, back with KBT was we'd, you know, you'd have like seven or eight phases to build up towards a snatch. So you might start off with an overhead squat and then you might start, and then you might move into a slow snatch balance and then a snatch balance and then a hip snatch and then a hang snatch. And then, so you, you might, with someone who wants to get into Olympic lifts, you have a big focus on strength, obviously, to make them strong enough and robust enough and mobile enough um, to be able to do them. And then, but, but you're kind of keeping them engaged, building the skill of the, of the Olympic lifts. And it's something I think we spoke about in the podcast a few weeks ago was 
okay, if you, you know, we're talking about mobility issues and if you can't get into a good, you know, squat position, for example, should I not squat? And it's like, well, yeah, squat, squat to the range. You can do a box squat, do a pin squat, you know, heavy, still load it and become strong. But also on the side of that, practice the skill. So you might warm up with a goblet squat, for example, with an eight kilo kettlebell and sit in the bottom position for 30 seconds and do, you know, do, do some reps on that. And then, you know, you're never going to get anywhere if you're just doing that kind of stuff for an hour every session but then move on to move on to some load with the ranges that you can you can do and i think that's quite similar with general pop and olympic lifting by all means do it but just kind of if you especially if you're a complete beginner uh just drip feed you know drip feed it in alongside you know some strength work I'd like to add maybe that um, it would be probably beneficial for people who, who do CrossFit, um, as we know that lots of people doing it. I think coming into, coming into CrossFit is definitely worth playing with the oily lift itself before, um, and probably strongman training as well. Um, and then obviously if you aiming for being an Olympic weightlifter, um, so that leads me to a question. Um, where, at what point uh, would Luke, as a powerlifter, would implement Oli Lift? Or would you ever? For powerlifting, never. Lit- never. If I wanted someone to do some speed work before, it would be the, the easy um, movements that you said before. So, like med ball work. If I wanted someone to do some speed dominant work, it would be jumps. It would be ball work at the start of a session, perhaps. It would never be the Olympic lift because A, I think there'll be some like conflicting positions that might take away from the skill of the powerlifts. Um, and it's just it's just not worth the, the risk to reward that you're going to get from them. If you're exclusively you want a powerlift, if someone wants to just be good at, at, at a squat bench and deadlift and also do some other lifts, maybe I would. Um, I've used them with um, a couple of field sports athletes, and I think one thing that can be a good thing but also a negative is like the competition elements of getting good at cleans relative to like your team sports. So like with the med ball, it's really hard to quantify if you're getting better at med ball. You can hear it and you can see it and it feels, but you don't get this data. But with a clean, you get this like clear feedback that you're lifting heavy. So I think when you're trying to get a group of like, let's say you're working with a rugby team, you're trying to get 15 guys to get better at med ball what can produce maximal force and speed. Really hard to convince them to the med ball. If you give them marble and do a clean, um, it just quantifies if they're getting better, if they're getting faster. And it, it, it's that little bit of competition, which a lot of team sports thrive on. That can be taken too far when you see videos of like 15-year-old kids cleaning like really good weight, but with shit form. So there's a point where it becomes a negative thing, but like the competition elements of getting better at the cleans and then the mentality going into the sessions and the intent to get better and to lift faster, I think can be a, can be a beneficial thing as well. Yeah, I think with, with team sports, it's like, um olympic liftings like this kind of you know it goes goes around in circles you know 10 you know i think five or ten years ago you know everyone was you know experts in the field were saying you you have to olympic lift if if you if you're a team sport athlete or a field athlete um you, you have to do the olympic lifts you have to power clean you have to snatch etc etc um now it's gone the other way and it's become very sort of unpopular to to implement the Olympic uh, Olympic lifts uh, for, for for athletes. Um, again, you know, I mean, I think it very much depends on uh, the context as always, uh, the individual. So if I'm you know an SSC coach and I'm working with a group of twenty people, whether that's in a rugby academy or whether that's with 
you know, um, you know, down down the gym in a Met Connor Barbell Club, like it, it can be quite difficult, um, you know, if if not impossible. If if I'm you know if I'm seeing a group twice a week and we've got an hour to train, let's let's use a rugby academy as an example. Um, you know, am I going to be sort of teaching the snatch? Um, am I going to be you know implementing that skill when it's new to a 31 year old rugby player? You know, probably not. We're going to work with what we've got. You know, the time restraints. Um, you know, we're going to make the, the you know we're going to do movements where the skills a lot easier and we can still you know produce some good good rate of force development. Um, you know, I think you know. The, on the contrary the research does show that in terms of rate of force development like the the olympic lifts are just you know a very very prolific still um so i'm you know i completely understand where coaches are coming from where they're talking about getting rid of the olympic lifts for team sports and field, sorry you know just just field, field athletes um and just just get rid of them completely because they're too hard to coach they're too hard to learn etc etc um, I'd, I'd argue against that and say that in the right context and the right environment um, and with the right coaching skill and knowledge, I can speak from experience, teaching a hang power clean off the blocks or a snatch grip high pull from the blocks is not particularly difficult um, with, with, with a relatively well-coordinated athlete. Um, so... Again, I think you, you've got to be so careful not to say Olympic lifting is the best thing in the world or the worst thing in the world for, mm-hmm. for, for field athletes. It really does depend. Like I will use for myself, I will use hang power cleans. Um, I feel I feel like I'm very efficient in them. Um, my, te- my technique's you know pretty pretty good, and I can produce a good amount of well, an excellent amount of rate of force development with with a hang power clean. Um, now, my situation might be different because I've obviously learned the Olympic lifts. I've coached a lot of Olympic lifters, but I've transferred that on to other athletes, and they've learned they've learned the movement very, very comfortably, very easily. Um, so, you know, I certainly understand the you know the argument to say, well, forget the Olympic lifts, just do um, you know do banded deadlifts, do you know uh, trap bar jumps, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I and I, I do completely understand that argument completely. But what I would say is don't, you know, it's not as black and white as that. And for me personally, I feel, I feel, you know, I feel amazing from a training stimulus point of view when I am adding in some of the, you know, some, some of those Olympic lifting variations. Now I won't, you know, I won't ever full snatch, um, you know, and I won't even often full clean to be honest with you, although I have, have done before. Um, But doing those variations and breaking them down, what you're doing is you're, you're, minimizing the amount of skill that's required you make it more simplistic and you can really focus on triple extension rate of force development and i think with the right with the right athletes in the right scenario they do have a place i think you rounded up really good in terms of the context like i really like this comparison of when you have a team and limited time to spend with uh whereas when you have an individual um so I i think you rounded up perfectly well yeah, I think like you know there was uh, there was a lot of research done you know a few few years back where you know um, sort of mid mid thigh isometric pulls became you know very popular um, you know and there was an argument of you know do we you know do we replace Olympic lifts with mid thigh 
uh, ISO pools and things like that. And you know what what the research showed was yes, okay, in terms of peak force, the you know the mid thigh isometric pools we could we could generate more peak force than we could with the uh, with the Olympic lifts, but the rate of force development was higher in the Olympic lifts and, and that they are extremely high with the Olympic lifts, the rate of force development. So there's more research coming out now where we can, we're, we're trying to compare, you know, Olympic lifts and um, trap bar jumps, uh, for, for example. Um, and as, as more data comes out, it'd be interesting to see, see where that, where that goes. Um, but, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if you're looking at more, you know, sort of, you know, um, velocity aspects with the with with the trap bar jumps as opposed to you know maybe a bit more force if you can hang down clean 100 you know 90 100 110 kilos um so that'll be really interesting to uh to to, to see but yeah it's, it's it's interesting interesting for sure and i say yeah really really depends on the context and the and the individual so you know you, you could you could build a fantastic you know sprinting career um rugby career anything like that without ever touching the olympic lifts um but you know what i would say is don't you know throw the baby out of the bathwater as they say and just you know, neglect them uh, neglect them completely the devil the devil's in the details for that one i was just thinking of the bathwater analogy then when you said that that's pretty good yeah <clears throat> does does uh sort of make sense with that doesn't it but yeah so uh yeah, I think yeah, pretty much rounds up question. If you if you you know if you if you're general pop and you want to do the Olympic lifts and want to learn them, cool, awesome, loads of benefits to be had from it. Um, but build the build some strength first and slowly and build up the skill. Be prepared that it's um, you like you need certain level of commitment to it because you know like how it usually is. We we've been there. Like people just want to add weight to the bar but it just doesn't happen that way when it comes to all lifts. Like, I don't, I don't want to now like blame powerlifting, but obviously like SBD is a bit, is a bit probably easier and people see the improvements quicker. Like when you start doing deadlifts, you probably can pull more on a weekly basis when you're a beginner. Oh, big time, yeah. It's easy, um, easier from a skill, yeah. skill point of view, isn't it? But 100%, yeah, yeah. It, it not necessarily easier. It doesn't that quickly with the Oli. Like, you know, people think that, you know, you're just not going to snatch in a month from, from coming to it like a, like a novice. So yeah. that might there be a good tricky part, yeah. There was a good Olympic lifting coach, Kamabu was, but sort of said, you know, it was international level and said, uh, you know, something along the lines of you can... You can teach, you know, you can teach Olympic lifting in in ten minutes to someone, but to actually yeah. perfect it, you know, practice it and perfect it, it yeah. takes you know ten thousand hours or or whatever. Um, it's so uh, yeah, it's it, it, that's that's a good point Sonia makes. There is, you know, it, it does take, you know, if you want to get good at them, it does take a lot of time and you know a lot of a uh, lot of commitment. Um, as it, this it is just, why if, if you are cool. doing that then you need to uh, you need to make sure you're doing other stuff as well because there's nothing worse than just watching someone come to the gym three days a week oh. uh, doing just Olympic lifts with a broom yeah. doing absolutely nothing else like do your Olympic work get good at it you know learn the skill but make sure you do something else that's going to actually in the short term and medium term yeah. is going to actually benefit you rather than just spending millions of times throwing a broomstick yeah. about like, it's so, uh, so true it's such a good point like you see a lot of like sort of moderate level olympic lifters and i've seen them down the gym as well like you know lovely technique you know 
re- really good technically, look great when they're doing it. Um, but they're stuck, they're stuck at snatching 40 kilos and cleaning and jerking 60 kilos because they're not strong. They're, they're not getting strong enough. And again, you know, I wish I could remember who wrote it, but there's literally a piece of research has come out in the last couple of weeks, again, about the correlation between snatch and clean and jerk um, totals and squat strength, back squat and front mm-hmm. squat strength. And it, it, again, I mean, it's been tons of, tons of research over, over that the last 30 years, but there's, a, there's another one that's come out and it's, it's just further. And, and yeah. with all the research that's been, been done, all, um, you know, accuracy. So it, it's, it's, it's so, you know, if you know about strength training, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's obvious anyway, you can't, you know, you can't, you can't clean a hundred kilos if you, if your best front squat's 80. Um, Sonia can. Well, so, Sonia's What's the exception your, uh... to the rule. <laughs> really joking, really joking. But like, it's, um, <laughs> so, God's sake, I mean, you see some people with lovely technique, but don't be, you know, don't be afraid to, to lift, lift some, lift some weight as well. And there's a, there's a reason why they're best. Lovely technique. And then you crumble under, an, you add another three kilos. And then well, you exactly. You look at the best underneath it you look at the best Olympic lifters in the world and you know they're squatting outrageous you know amounts amounts of weight you've got guys in the you know in the 75 80 kilo range you know squat you know squatting 300 kilos i mean you know high bar full depth it's it's crazy how strong these guys are but for some reason in like more the commercial olympic lifting world like people don't seem to uh take take that on board like it's uh it's very, you know really really interesting so i think that's strong why people don't stick to it when they're when they're like new to it because obviously you don't see that progress coming out but there's more to it as you said than just like playing with pvc pipe in a gym like that's not how you're going to get the numbers but people want to see that and i think that's why they often say well it's not really working out for me but it's a form of it's a form of vertical integration isn't it really like you in a way you're 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 learning the skill of the of the ollie lifts you're doing your skill work but don't <laughs> neglect everything else you know yeah. you still still need to get still need to uh to get uh to get strong so uh yeah that's um that's it that's important but yeah the let's say the the research is again just like so obvious and so you know fascinating that there's just a clear correlation between max front squat and max snatch and max clean like it's literally all within all within a percent so get get strong get strong as well don't just roll around on the grass and play you know play with a, a stick do that but also get strong say no more say no more fantastic cool i think um yeah we'll we'll probably look at rounding that up there guys is there anything else you want to add to those three questions or or not i felt like with the first question again we could go on for, forever about that and you know i think i could have you know i could have gone into some more more depth about that but it's um you know if you want to hit us up individually and send us a, a dm regarding that i'd be happy to go into it a bit more because it is you know is it, it really is dependent on the person um but yeah hopefully hopefully we've answered those questions for you guys um anything that luke and sonia want to add in there no, I, I, I mean, you can talk about anything for hours, but without the context, there's only so much that you can give. So you gave as much information there as you can without the context of this individual person that sent the question. So I think we gave good answers. 
I yeah, think yes. I think you, it was kind of affecting the 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 field sport and maybe how often you train. But as you guys saying that it it really depends on on the time you have and what your athletic background and what you want to achieve. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, yeah, yeah. That's you can yeah you can have all you know you can be someone who goes to the gym and enjoys training training and have all the all the knowledge you know about all these things but you know coaching coaching experiences where you know you can really apply that to 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 the individual um which you know to get the best out of them which which ultimately for me is what you know is what coaching is all, all about isn't it it's what i do it's what we do uh fantastic cool three weeks to opening guys so uh looking forward to it luke's on you excited very excited. Man, so excited now. Can't believe this. You said it. Yes, three weeks. Best three weeks. Slightly over three weeks now, but at the time uh, of, the, of the time of recording, but when on Monday, uh, three yeah, three weeks to go. Exciting times. Um, so, any of our listeners, if you're interested in finding out more, um, check out our website, um, mscperformance.co.uk. All our information about memberships are are there. We are taking on a limited amount of. Um, 28 day trial lists um, to start with obviously being a bit careful with uh, or being very careful and uh, diligent with the social distancing and how many people we're taking on board etc etc but if you are interested in applying then go on the website and apply for our 28 day trial we'll get in touch with uh, no obligation it's one-off payment it's a ridiculous amount of coaching and programming and assistance that you'll get for that month and get involved get involved give it a shot fantastic we'll leave that there guys thank you very much for tuning in and thank you to lucas Sonia for joining me and we will catch you same time next week cheers